Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 Podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how He calls us today. Each week we will journey through Scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly His call is for our lives today. Welcome to week six. So this is an apologetics week. Now picking up from week four, we're still discussing the problem of evil. It's a complicated issue, and frankly there's no simple answer. That's why I wanted to take a couple of weeks during the apologetics weeks to dive into this topic and to tackle it from different angles. So during week four, we asked the question, if a good and loving God exists, how can evil exist? Within that same week, we said that something, sometimes, my bad, evil happens so that God can use it for good. Now that doesn't mean that God created evil or anything like that. And he certainly isn't the originator of evil either. As the Bible says, God can do no evil, and he does not cause people to sin. We do that ourselves. And that brings us to our lesson today. Evil exists in the world because we commit sin that brings it in. God gives us free will to make our own decisions. Just like a parent allows their child to make their own decisions. And then they have to deal with the consequences of their actions. So the point that I want to make today is that it is not God who does evil. It's us. Oftentimes the problem that we face when we ask the question of why does God allow evil to exist is often that when this question is raised, we're in a state of hurting. So we want to know why this hurt and evil has been brought upon us. It's always easy to blame someone else, so oftentimes we point to God. And we blame Him for our suffering. And in reality, oftentimes, it's our fault. Now that's not the case every time. There are certainly instances where there are other things going on. But realizing that evil and suffering is so often a result of our very own sin. It's something important that we need to realize. And so today, we're actually going to be reading quite a bit. But I really think it's something important for us to see today. So we're going to read two chapters, well, basically one and a half. And then we're going to examine what a certain uh, early church father has to say on this particular topic. There's honestly so much we could dive into. But again, I want to keep the apologetics weeks fairly simple. So let's open up with a quick word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the study of today. So, Father in heaven, thank you for this day and allowing us the opportunity to just turn on this podcast to listen to what your word has to say. Let us be in the right state of mind. Let us have a good heart, a heart that is eager to learn what you have to teach us this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today we're reading 2 Samuel chapter 11, and 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 23. I'm reading again from the Christian Standard Bible, or the CSB. But feel free to follow along in any version of the Bible that you have. But once again, we're reading from 2 Samuel chapter 11, and 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 23. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. 
They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rab. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Elam, and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hethite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing, and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all of his master's servants. He did not go to, down to his house. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home, David questioned Uriah, Haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, The ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to drink, eat and drink, and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live, and by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hethite also died. Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. He commanded the messengers, When you finish telling the king all the details of the battle, if the king's anger gets stirred up and he asks you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the top of the wall? At Thebes, who struck Amalek, son of Jerobeths, didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the top of the wall so that he died? Why did you get so close to the wall? Then say, Your servant Uriah the Hethite is dead also. Then the messenger left. When he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger reported to David, The men gathered the advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we counteracted, my bad, counterattacked, again, Return up to the entrance of the city gate. However, the archers shot down on your servants from the top of the wall, and some of your, the king's servants died. Your servant, Uriah the Hethite, is also dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. 
Don't let this matter upset you, because the sword devours all alike. Intensify your fighting against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband, Uriah, had died, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Now, before we continue to chapter 12, I just want to apologize for butchering the words and just not being able to read things properly for whatever reason today. Anyways, let's get on to chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 23. So the Lord sent to Nathan, sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, There are two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had brought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shows no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite's sword. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house, because you despised me, and took the wife of Uriah the Hethite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says, I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to others before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, And the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had borne to David. He became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, Look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked the servants, Is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house, and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food, and he ate. 
His servants asked him, Why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. He answered, While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. Okay, I know that's a lot, and maybe some stuff that you didn't understand in there. That's okay, especially since I can't seem to talk and read things like a normal human being sometimes. Um, So just bear with me with that. So I apologize. But anyways, if we had more time, I wish we could have gone into this a little bit deeper to have explained a few more things and stuff like that. But we really don't have the time for a super in-depth breakdown. So I'll give you a quick rundown to sum it all up. Basically, King David, the king of Israel, committed murder and adultery. And as chapter 11 ends, we see that it was evil in the Lord's sight. So not only do we recognize that this was wrong for this to happen, but it was sin in the sight of God. And then in our readings from chapter 12, David has to deal with the consequences of his sin. And it just leads from one problem to the next. And eventually, David realizes what he has done is truly evil, thanks to Nathan the prophet. He has to go through a period of hard times, because he has brought this upon himself through his sin. He has to go through the loss of his child, and now the whole kingdom knows about what he's done. Not only that, but he becomes deeply depressed, and he doesn't eat or drink for some time. David is now in a situation that a lot of us find ourselves in. We know that during this time, David would write Psalm 51, which is a great psalm of repentance. So we know that his heart has changed because he recognizes that his broken heart and the troubles that he is facing is because of his sin. And sometimes we need that realization too. We need to realize that our sin was truly evil, and that while maybe people didn't get hurt or killed, Our relationship with the Lord has been damaged in some way. And we still have to live with the consequences, whatever they may be. No, I'm not saying that once we repent of whatever we did, life will instantly be better. That's not the way life works. But what I am saying is that if you find yourself in a time of trouble, of pain or heartbreak or whatever else, then it's good to look for the heart of the issue. Because that can lead to a heart of repentance, and the Lord will forgive, as he did David. He does not turn away a broken heart that seeks forgiveness, which I guess would ultimately tie into our topic of week four, where sometimes God can bring forth something good from the evil that we commit. I know this is certainly true in my own life, and I know that's likely true in your own life in some way as well. But now I want to jump over to what an early church father has to say on this topic. It's a quote from Augustine. Now, Augustine is an early church father of the 4th, 5th century, roughly around that time, who influenced many aspects of modern-day Christian theology. You'll often see him brought up in many churches, from the Roman Catholic Church to many Reformed churches. So he's pretty important in shaping certain aspects of Christianity. Now Augustine, when he was reflecting upon Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8, he has this to say, 
To sow in the Spirit is to serve righteousness from faith and with love and not to heed the desires of sin. End quote. There's so much more we could get into regarding what Galatians says and everything like that and how this ties into everything so much. But I'm sure you've heard the saying, what a man sows he will reap. Basically saying, what you put forth and what you do will have some sort of end or consequences. And that's what Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 is discussing. And what Augustine is speaking on is that we should focus on the things of the Spirit that please God. Faith and love and all of these things. Because when we do this, life won't always be easy. But God does watch over his children. He cares for them, and he blesses them. But if we heed the desires of sin, as Augustine puts it, then we'll live a life of corruption, sin, and pain. Life is already hard enough. We definitely know that. But it won't be any easier when we just keep sinning. And we have to keep dealing with the consequences of our sinful actions. And it's just not going to get any better. I once heard it like this. Once we sin, it becomes like a snowball. And it just keeps getting worse and worse because we just keep continuing to sin. But as we wrap up for the night or day or whenever you're listening to this, there's another Augustine quote that I want to end us on. It's one that I think we need to hear as we realize that our sin can often be why there's evil in this world. Because we're constantly chasing sin and not the things of God. And until we realize that, things are not going to get better. We're going to stay stuck in sin and keep wrestling with the consequences and evilness of our actions. The quote goes like this, Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in you. And I think that's a perfect quote for us to end on today. I know today was a little bit longer than what we're used to, so thank you for sticking through it. Thank you for sticking through my difficult reading as well. But its I think it's all important stuff that we need to realize. So until next time, my friend, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.